Hello and welcome to another episode of No Offense with Matt Shepard, one fan's review of Nothing Personal with David Sampson uh, podcast. Alright, let's get into it, shall we? On Monday, the topic that really interested me was the ongoing fiasco that is Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. So just to give a quick recap, Watson has been accused of uh, various sexual misconduct charges and other things by, I believe it's 22 women with 22 civil lawsuits. Uh, filed against him. He has faced two grand juries and no criminal charges are stemming from both of them. But as David reminds us, not being charged by a grand jury does not mean you are innocent. OJ, as, he, as his example, was found not guilty in the criminal court, guilty in the civil court. So after the grand juries, Watson was traded to the Browns and signed to $230 million contract with his first year being majority bonus and just a million dollar salary thus limiting the amount of money the NFL can collect from him when he is eventually suspended and it surely looks like he's going to be suspended and really it's a dirty trick by the Browns and Watson's agents to do this I mean it's it's ridiculous I think that's it's not as bad as the 23 civil lawsuits and the accusations by no means but it's 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 getting up there because you're directly limiting the amount of money the NFL can collect from you to punish you. He got paid his entire salary last year, folks. So he's sitting pretty. So this was uh, the speeches from Watson, the GM, and the owners of the Browns, the Haslams. So according to everything here, before his press conference, Watson would have arrived at least two days earlier uh, so he could get some... Uh, how can I put it? Get some preparation, I guess is the way to is putting it bluntly. Uh, this is, of course, coming from you know David's behind-the-scenes experience on how to handle various situations. He's never handled anything like this. I don't think there's ever been anything like this in the history of professional sports in North America. But it is what it is. So the Browns PR, Watson, and his own team, they would have one job, or they had one job, and that was to prepare him for the press conference that he was going to go through go through various questions and answers that they would give. Basically, how they want him to answer. You know, so that you say the right thing, which, I mean, makes sense. I'm not faulting them for that. Everybody does that. Whether you're accused by 22 women and 23 accusations of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment and the whole gamut, or you're just caught cheating or caught, you know, gambling on illegally gambling, whatever it is. If you're somebody of note, you have people and you prepare for any press conference. Heck, if it's even if you're David Sampson trading a player, you're going over things because you don't want to get caught out with a question that catches you off guard and makes you look bad. You want to prepare. So, <laughs> David only covers two answers of Watson that he gives, and really I think that's all that's needed to cover. I mean, this, this press conference was doomed to fail, to be honest with you. You're never going to come out of this where everything is still up in the air and... If you look at last week's, no offense, and last week's episodes of Nothing Personal, uh, David does talk about there can be an infinite number of grand juries, so he's still not out of the woods on that. But basically, he was asked why he had so many masseuses. So the, the stems, all of this stems from masseuses making accusations against Watson. And he said, in the past five years, he's had 40 to be exact. And his response was basically that he needs a team of people in different places and different times and can't always get the same person. So that's why he's needed 40 over 5 years. Is that really? Is that the best you can come up with? I mean, not even David bought it. 
uh, or you know, not even a state bad words, David didn't buy it. I mean, that, that makes no sense. And I agree. 40 over 5 years, I mean, in my opinion, you, you mean to tell me that not one of those masseuses wanted to stay, not one wanted a steady paycheck. What, you couldn't fly them out? You couldn't have them as part of your team? Come on. Throw a few shekels their way and they wouldn't want to stay? That tells me, again, I, innocent until proven guilty, but where there's smoke, there's fire. So, so far, we are off to a great start. Uh, and of course, through this, uh, you know, David has, he does these little back and forth, fictional back and forth, and it's basically, talks about how Watson's like, don't worry about it, my next answer, I'm going to come off worse. And that question was, do you have any regrets? And his answer was basically, was no, why would I have regrets? I didn't do anything wrong. Now again, he's innocent or proven guilty, and he does have a right to say this, uh, but 23 lawsuits, like I said, where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, in David's opinion, he could have been better prepared for that answer. And, you know, he, David does talk about that, yes, you don't want to say things that could have hurt his civil lawsuits. You know, that makes sense, and I agree. You don't want to come out and be like, I want to apologize to these 22 women. I'm so very sorry for what I've done to you. Ding, 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 ding. Massive settlements. Potentially even now... Is that proof? Is that evidence that a civil case, or sorry, a criminal case can move forward? So yeah, you're going to be very guarded. But, as David said, you don't have to cop to anything, but you can say something, basically like David referred to, you know, talked about, like, the miscommunication. You know, David do does go on to give a great example of what he could have said. Uh, you know, and David is a lawyer by education, and with his experience in the front office, he has knowledge on, on how to address these things. Again, nobody's ever covered 22 accusations, 23 civil lawsuits, but I agree with David. There's ways around it, and a good lawyer, as he talks about, 100% could figure out what to say and how to say it. it that's not copying to it and saying, oh, I'm totally guilty, because now all of a sudden you could land behind bars. But there's also a way to address it without being this, like, nothing happened. I regret nothing. Uh, I think that's going to come back to haunt him personally. So the front office's speeches weren't any better. Uh, you know, David did kind of bring up the point that they, what they needed to do was they needed to clean up Watson's mess of a press conference. And they really didn't do a good job at all. So I think it was the GM or the president was asked, why did they sign Watson? And their response is, we believe in Deshaun the man. Confident on Watson the person, they spent hours with him. And I, all I gotta say is, really? That's your stance? Again, nothing is proven, but where there's smoke, there's fire, and can't they come up with something better to say? You know, what if this does take a turn for the worse in terms of the civil lawsuit, or if criminal does ever come up down the road? Do you really want that, those words to be the last thing people remember on why you signed him? I mean, come on. We spent hours with him. And 23 accusations, and all you said is hours? If you said days, I might have said something. I might have maybe bought it. But hey. The Haslams, uh, the owners of the Cleveland Browns, didn't do any better. When asked, uh, Jimmy Haslam said the reason he signed Watson is he and his wife spoke to their daughters and they gave them position, their permission. Now, David was floored by this, and I was too. I cannot believe he put the ownership on this on his kids. 
to say, oh, well, my, our daughters gave us permission. I beg your pardon, what? David gave us a bit of insight into what he would have been like as an executive and a father. He talked about how he never spoke to his kids before making a transaction or decision, but he spoke to them after to inform them, you know, why they're going to be made fun of, why he, David, will be in the headlines and the butt of jokes, you know, which I think is good parenting. Uh, he doesn't hide behind his kids. He doesn't say, he doesn't put them out there. He, you don't go to your kids as a business going, what do you think about this transaction? Should I do it? You're putting the ownership on them, the blame on them if it goes wrong. And I think that's what the Haslams are doing. You know, you, you can talk to them after, certainly. You know, like as he said, David said he talked to them after. You need to. Because when you're making transactions with players, fans like players. Kids at school are the fans of the team, and they know who's, you know, whose dad is yours. So they know that you're David Sampson's kids. So yeah, you want to prep them. But you're not making them the crux of your decision. And the Haslams, to say this, is reckless and inexcusable and frankly dangerous for this because you're now putting a target on your kids if this doesn't work out <laughs> your daughters are going to be the ones who this is really going to hang on well they gave us permission I mean come on why the hell would you put your kids front and center front and center of all of this going they were the reason why we chose Deshaun Watson. Our daughters approved this. So now they have to answer for it. No, no. No, no. I don't care if he actually did. And I don't care if he gave, if they did actually give permission. You don't say that. You don't put it on your kids. You don't bring your kids into this. You're the owner. You're the billionaire. You own it. You wear it for the rest of your life. Uh, it, it, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, David did finish off this segment with what I think was a very powerful opinion. You know, the Haslam's hope that winning will have fans forget about this disaster, forget about Watson, forget about the 22 women, forget about the 23 civil lawsuits. But as he puts it, we can't forget, and I agree 100%. We have to remember, we have to be better as fans. You know, there's no outcome that I see, and I can be proven wrong, but there's no outcome that I see that Watson gets to walk away from this scot-free, and we shouldn't let him. Uh, again, he's innocent until proven guilty. That's why he's free. But, and again, I don't want to get into court of public opinion, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And until this is all said and done, we have to remember, we have to keep it in the spotlight. You know, it's, it, it has to be there. It, it has to be. We can't let this go, because when are we ever going to when are we ever going to expect change? We can't look at the Browns and say we're, we're, we're horrified by this and then go supporting them and then go back to games and then ignoring it and forgetting and going, yeah, Deshaun, get a Super Bowl. We can't. You, you can't do that. You can't. If we can't do it for him, what chance do we have on a single case of this or a single case of domestic abuse or a single case of drunk driving? When is it ever going to change? And we're always asking that, when's it ever going to change? Well, now's the chance to have that change. We can't forget. We don't have to hit them every single time about it. You know, it, it doesn't have to be this this thing here, but it has to be when they want us to forget, and they want to put Deshaun Watson front and center, and it still hasn't been sorted, 
Don't let them. Keep on them. So Tuesday, there were two stories that I found interesting. There was the new Bills Stadium and the NF and the new NFL Diversity Initiative. Now, the stadium part is fascinating, especially with David's experience in building Marlins Park in Florida. I always mention to listen to his podcast if you are finding mine first. And the episode you absolutely have to listen to is this one for the stadium piece. You know, no one in America can speak on a topic like this, like David. He has insider knowledge. He built a stadium on time, under budget, which is amazing. And so he, you know, there's the public funds. There's all of these controversies that surround stadiums. He's been through it. So if you're sitting, if you're coming across my podcast first, you got to go listen to his, and you really want to listen to this piece. Which is why I want to focus on the diversity part. I feel I can't do justice towards the stadium piece like David can. You know, I took my notes on it to prepare for this, but I just think I would only bungle it. So the diversity. The NFL has announced a new initiative for 2022, and that is every NFL team will have an assistant offensive coach who is black, brown, or woman. They will not be paid by the team, but they will be paid by the NFL directly, or the teams will expense their salary to the NFL and get reimbursed for it. Either way, the teams won't have it on their books for that salary. Now, David has some experience in this, which I actually, I don't want to poke fun of it, but I do want to kind of... It is a little bit funny. Uh, when Major League Baseball said the teams need a Spanish translator for all the teams to have the play, you know, because baseball has a lot of Spanish-speaking players, and a lot of them only speak Spanish, so you want to have a translator to make them, you know, welcoming, feel at home. The Marlins already had one in place. They had a bilingual person who was working on staff, and all David did when they had this order go out was keep this person in the role at that salary, and expense it to the Major League Baseball, which I think I think is brilliant. That's exactly the business expertise that you get from David and the little anecdotes you get, which is, I think, kind of funny. You know, it, it's working the system at its finest. And as he says, it's just business. It's nothing personal. And in David's opinion, these hires, when they go into a meeting, though, the new NFL diversity hires, is this going to cause more problems? or it's not really problems is this the outcome that the NFL wants or are they going to go into meetings and are they going to be thinking to themselves do I belong here are they looking at me knowing I'm the diversity hire and to be honest with you I kind of agree now I'm going to say it I am white so I don't I don't have and I'm a white male I don't have any idea what it's like to be black or brown or woman in today's society and all the problems that they have faced and had to overcome and still have to overcome so I'm certainly not going to sit here and say I know exactly what it's like to be Brian Flores you know or anything like that I, I can't but I do think it's a mistake for the NFL to cover their salary I think the move is good because the problem I find with the Rooney rule is that where there aren't any minorities with head coaching experience then it's easy to not hire them it's easy just to have them come into the interview as just being lip service because you're only going to hire the Rooney rule is only to interview people and if there's nobody really qualified because there are no black head coaches or those like Mike Tomlin he's still with the Steelers so you don't have a pool to pick from so you're going to be interviewing all these people at lower levels 
along with other established head coaches. And yes, there are people who have no head coaching experience, which is really the reason why the Rooney Rule is useless. But this is the problem, is that there's nobody at that level. So you can easily explain away a minority head coach by saying, well, so-and-so is not a... Uh, doesn't have experience being the, the head honcho. He's a offensive or defensive assistant coordinator or whatever the position is. And so we decided not to go in that direction. You knew who you were going to hire all along, which all these teams do, and as David talks about, I reviewed in, in past episodes. But you don't have that pool to choose from. And so starting the next level down, although it's not the desired spot, it's it's not the end game. It's a way to get to the end game, and I think that's how you do it: is you get the lower level below it to do that. But paying them, paying for them so that the teams don't, to me comes across as I don't want to say they don't believe in them. I, I have to choose my words carefully here, but it seems like you're putting the thing on the teams of going just find a woman find a black person, find a brown person, and hire them. And if you can somehow get a mix of all three, we're winning and checking every box. That we don't care who you hire, as long as they tick one of those three boxes, we're happy. And we'll cover the salary. I mean, (laughs) why not just put it in there and have the teams find these people and put them on salary? Because they're going to want to pick whoever they can. How do we know that they're not just going to pick someone, pay lip service, and not really give them much uh, duties? I mean, just because they're an offensive coordinator, teams can have workarounds. And if you're saying, well, you don't have to pay them, well, that just is, is, is that a quick fix? I just I think that that leaves a lot of room, as David said, when they walk into that first meeting, there is going to be questions, and are they going to be guessing themselves, or are others going to be looking at them? And frankly... I don't want to say it that I would, but you can't even get the team to agree to pay their salary. What does what do these people mean to the teams? Not a lot, in in my opinion, of paying the salary. So I think that it's good, but there needs to be the teams need to pay. You need to have the teams own it and do it. And so I think that's my problem with it, is that the NFL is paying or reimbursing their salary. It's, it's, it reminds me growing up when the federal government had the program where they paid your salary to various departments and they hired you on. The feds paid, not the department. So it's like, we don't really need you, but we've got this money, we might as well spend it. And that, to me, sends the wrong message. Now, David does go on as well to say that he doesn't think forcing owners and GMs to hire someone like this won't change their mind. And I agree and I don't agree. You know, the problem with the league is that it is old white men in positions of power, in the GM or the uh, owner. But I also think that you can change people with something like this, in my mind at least. I think you can. It's a step in the right direction. When they get in there and they prove themselves, and if they're given an actual shot, and they can say, "Hey, I can be an offensive coordinator," you know, sorry, an offense assistant, offensive coach. I think that they can, if they can prove themselves, well, then that can change minds, and that can have an owner go, "You mean to tell me a woman can do this job? I have to give them more shots," and it does that. 
and you you have an, an owner who maybe says, "Wow, I didn't think there were any black or brown qualified assistant head assistant offensive coaches. Wow, maybe I should give the defensive chance aside." And it does open that up. Now, obviously, they're not everyone's going to be successful, and that's going to prove to that owner potentially. Well, I was right; the NFL was wrong. But I do think that this is a step in the right direction. This is how you begin to change minds, along with these people retiring and selling the teams to younger people, hopefully. Uh, or younger people in their families take over. But it does help. So I think it is a step in the right direction, and it is good that the NFL is doing it. Okay, so Wednesday, the topic that really interested me was the new overtime rules of the NFL. The Bills-Chiefs game of the previous postseason really was what brought this on for us as fans. The old rules were, in my opinion, atrocious. Uh, well, actually, I think they can say they still are, because we'll talk about that in a second. This whole thing of whoever wins the coin toss and scores the touchdown wins the game is a horrible ending for NFL games, especially playoff games. Now, the problem with the rule change that they have, and the new rule change is, is that what happens is both teams get the ball. So the new rule change for the overtime is that both teams get a chance, which is great, because that game, as we watched the Bills-Chiefs, we knew whoever was the last person to hold that ball was going to win the game, and that's not how games like that should end. But the problem is, in my thing, is that these new rules will only be part of the postseason, not the regular season, which I don't agree. What happens in a game, say say the Bills-Chiefs was game 17 of the season, or it's not Bills-Chiefs, it's other teams. Uh, and both teams need a win, and the regular rules, OT rules are in place, and you have a game like that. What if this is a game for first seed and second seed? What if it's for the, you know, a, a division win? The person who wins is in, the person who loses is out. You, you, you want this, you don't want a regular season game to end the way that the Bills-Chiefs playoff game ended. Because you can't have regular season games that are amazing, especially near the end of the season. So I think it's a mistake that they're only doing this for the postseason. You know, why are we going to end the regular season with a game ending like that? I think it's a mistake. I think you need to have it for the playoffs. But I guess, you know, the playoffs are where the excitement was this past season. I mean, the playoffs were absolutely amazing. So I guess any change is a good change, I guess. Now, Davis' point of view of this... He does agree with this, this rule change, uh, because I think he loves the NFL and loves the excitement like like we all do. But his, his view is this, is that it's going to be interesting, because this came about because of fans of teams who didn't win were upset, and owners of teams who didn't win, who didn't get the ball, uh, were upset. But the owners who did win don't want to change. And I agree that it is going to be interesting to see, uh, or to see if this creates more problems. Because he kind of went on with this, with that sentiment, is that when he was an executive, he looked at things like this, as that there will eventually be an advantage for both sides, that it's going to all come out of the wash. So in other words, the Chiefs win this time, well, the Bills will win next time. And I agree and I don't agree with that, to be honest with you. I understand where he's coming from, and I can see that as an executive, you know, and and I can see that from the executive standpoint, you would have that because you'd also be worried, well, what if a rule could punish me? I don't want to have that happen against me. I I do understand that, but this is sports, 
and it's a little bit different, I think, as a fan. You know, I used to think like David, to be honest with you, I really did. I used to think that, why not make the rules, like, I'm a fan of Formula One, and there are times when I think they really need to make all the rules unison, because it is that very same thing. You know, you you crash into someone, and you're, oh, it's a driver error, not a problem. Uh, you know, was it, sorry, it's a racing incident versus it's driver error, punish the driver error, racing incident, it's fine. No. Same thing across the board because it all comes out in the wash in the end. But I'm kind of leaning away from that because the problem I have, and just using the Bills Chiefs as an example, is, you know, well, first of all, getting to the playoffs is hard, so it's not a guarantee that you're going to make it to the playoffs. And repeating is even harder. And I mean, yes, it eventually might work out for both sides, but we do we really want to wait seasons to have this work out? And the other thing is, is that every game is different. We could play Bills Chiefs a hundred times in a row, and all hundred times can end differently because the tiniest thing can change a game. So that if it was, if I, if all games ended very similar then I'd say, fine, it all comes out in the wash in the end, sure. But your offensive lineman is one second too slow, too fast, your running back trips, your running back is a step slower, a step faster, your wide receiver is runs a millimeter too, too far to the left, too far to the right, too slow, too fast, your quarterback. Like, there's a thousand different things, the refs, penalties, the weather, coaching... So to say that oh, it'll all come out in the wash is, is not something I really want to wait because how many times have we seen teams fall and rise and rise and fall and we think, wow, they're going to be great next season, and they're not. I mean, look at the Browns. <laughs> I mean, that nobody expected that this season, this past season, but, I mean, there you are. So I think anything that changes the rules, we kind of have to put aside that executive thought of it'll all come out in the end for us because as a fan... I don't want to wait for that. I don't want to risk that. I want the Bills Chiefs to end better. And if it means multiple overtimes of a game like that, that game is better than the Super Bowl, in my opinion. And so, let's have it that way. So, Thursday, the story that spoke to me was the news of Facebook hiring a conservative lobby firm to go after TikTok. This was from his segment of So You Want to Talk to Samson, which is basically... Not basically, which is where fans uh, tweet out to David and ask a question and he answers it. Sometimes he answers it immediately, sometimes he puts it on the show. Uh, I have messaged him a couple times asking questions and I've gotten answers both times, which is really cool. Uh, really cool that he does that. Not a lot of people do. Very few people, actually. Most don't even have the ability to message them. But that's neither here nor there. And the thing is, is that it's not sports related, but David does cover politics and he covers other topics not just sports and it's one of the reasons why i think his podcast is so great so anyways a story came out that facebook has hired a conservative lobby firm to slander tiktok as facebook or meta whatever they are thinks that tiktok is getting too large and getting its market share is too big which it doesn't think is right my only response to that is the pot calling the kettle black in my opinion but hey it is what it is. Now, 
this is a really interesting thing because I didn't know this, but David actually registered as a lobbyist in his time in baseball. So he has, not only as an executive seeing lobbyists, he was a lobbyist, a registered lobbyist, according to him, uh, which I think is really cool, actually. And so he has a really great insight. So this is another one that you really want to listen to. I'm probably going to butcher it, but I'm going to, you know, go ahead anyways. Uh, so David talked, basically, you know, started off with lobbyists and how they work. And, you know, I agree with his summation that every company, every corporation, every industry has lobbyists. Their job is to go to D.C. and to get laws made that get their employers, the companies that hire them, laws passed that help them, or laws passed that help their competition, that hurt, sorry, hurt their competition. And that's just how, I mean, that, I agree, that happens all the time, every day, every corporation, every industry, you know, the cheese industry, the, I mean, we, we hear the big ones, the cigarettes and the guns and that, but I mean, there's, and the oil industry, but I mean, every industry, plastics, you know, dairy farmers, any, any industry, any company that's larger than a small mom-and-pop business has lobbyists. How do they get things done? And how do we see laws that are favoring companies, not favoring companies, get passed? It's through lobbyists. So I, I agree, you know, this is just normal business. You know, as he says, it's just business, nothing personal. So people are accusing Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg of trying to do sinister things under the table to discredit TikTok the little guy in the situation. Now, how anybody is doing this article, looking at the situation and thinking, and even David agrees with this, how they see them as the little guy, I don't understand. But as David reminds us, being a lobbyist, TikTok is doing the exact same thing. And I mean, of course they are. This is business. You know, and he, he really doesn't make a good point about this. And I, th I don't like Facebook and I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. But I'm not hating them out at this by any stretch of the imagination. I don't care who they hire as a lobbyist. I expect them to be. I, honestly, I'm, I'd am i be shocked of an industry or a company or group of companies that didn't have a lobbyist. If somebody told me the banks of America didn't have a lobbyist, I'd be more shocked they didn't than if they did. And so he talked about this negativity towards Facebook and Zuckerberg as, you know, our confirmation bias. You know, in his opinion, and I agree, you know, we don't like Zuckerberg and Facebook, so we look at him and the company being the bad guy, doing all these bad things to hurt TikTok. But, you know, the thing is, and, and David does talk about this, is that TikTok is doing the same thing. They've got their own lobbyists. They're doing their own slander. And, I mean, that's just business. They're doing this every other day, you know, so we don't hate TikTok. So we see TikTok as being the victim here and, and, and Facebook and Zuckerberg being the enemy, and that's just our confirmation bias, but TikTok is doing the same thing. You know, this this is every day in, in there. I mean, lobbyists work 24-7. TikTok has them, Instagram has them, Facebook has them, Tesla has them, banking industry has them, banks have them, guns groups have them. The NRA is a lobby. <laughs> the lobbyists, that's what the NRA are. They're just a famous one, but every industry, every big company has lobbyists. That's how they get stuff done. So to me, this is this is nothing shocking. This is not a, oh my, Facebook is doing what? So is TikTok. So is every company doing it. That's just, Disney has got lobbyists. 
Disney's got lobbyists that go after CBS. CBS has got lobbyists that go after Fox and vice versa. It's just business. I know, I'm not going to say it. I have to. It's nothing personal. You know, this really was an interesting piece by David, and he really had a great answer to that question, you know. One thing I do want to point out, and I completely agree, is how not shocked David is by this. You know, Facebook, as he, as I said, and as he says, is that they're just another company. This is just another Tuesday, you know, when he read this article, and I totally agree. This is nothing new. If you're shocked by this, I don't like to be that person, but you got to open your eyes to the real world. Where have you been living under a rock? I don't know, maybe a bed. I don't, nah, I'm not sure I agree with that, but you got to open your eyes. You really do, because every company does this every day. We just don't see it. Sometimes it leaks out like this. Most times it doesn't. But I guarantee you right now, there's a lobbyist somewhere with a congressman or a senator having dinner talking about a law. I guarantee it. There's a lobbyist somewhere, you know, kiss-assing a senator or congressman or their aide or someone to get access to lobby for an industry or a company. It is just a random Tuesday, a random Friday, a Saturday night, whatever it is. It's just business. There's nothing shocking here. So, Friday we got to cover the saga of, the ongoing saga, I should say, of the Washington Commanders, former Redskins, former football team, and Dan Snyder. Now, what this new saga is, is is nothing related, directly related to the sexual harassment, the workplace harassment, all those Congress investigations, but it stems from that. And that is that Dan Snyder had two sets of financial books, potentially. An anonymous source came out, and it was basically stemming from the investigations that Congress did that they that have occurred, and that a second set of financials, supposedly, of the commanders was kept by Snyder, and they were supposedly found. Now, I don't... Again, it is just speculation. It's nothing new. I mean, if, if it was serious, Dan Snyder would be in cuffs. But it's a huge story of true. So, st- you know, stay tuned in, people, because this is fascinating. So, David talks, he starts talking about this right off the bat, about how in his life he has seen it all. He's seen people with questionable accountants, wealthy people take liberties with their taxes and write-offs, banks look at a net worth statements uh, of an individual trying to get a loan or do business without the necessary due diligence, you know, and I agree that people do all of that, but two sets of books is a completely different situation, and I agree. So, he gives us a kind of, he gives us a good recap of what potentially, you know, has brought us here with Snyder. You know, Snyder had to borrow $875 million to buy out partners due to the fallout of all the other controversies that he's had. And, you know, he did talk about how he had to secure a loan to do it, and that there is, and I agree, there is the potential to overstate team and personal net worth. Uh, you know, for somebody who has the marketing department do calendars of naked cheerleaders, he could easily have the accounting department overstate the financial health of the team. And to be honest with you, David, I agree completely. This man has, he's been proven to be a scumbag. So why not this? 
you know, buying out the partners is a serious thing, and that can have serious implications if it wasn't if serious implications for him and the team if it wasn't successful. So doing questionable accounting is not out of the realm of possibilities. Again, it's not proven, but in my opinion, Dan Snyder has lost the benefit of the doubt. Like Deshaun Watson in 23 accusations. When it's accusation after accusation for Dan Snyder, he's lost it. And I'm, I'm sitting here, and to be honest with you, I'm shocked that it's the potential of two sets of books, but I'm not shocked that it's Dan Snyder. If somebody told me, hey, Matt, did you hear about that NFL owner who potentially has two sets of books, which, you know, highly illegal, and if they're like, guess who it was? To be honest with you, my first guess would be Dan Snyder. <laughs> I don't know if that says, I've got confirmation bias. I don't know, probably does. But he's done enough at this point that I would kind of, th that would be my first guess. I'm not saying who my second and third guesses are. I do have those. One of the things David does talk about is, you know, he, he does give us a good insight of how Snyder would have bought out the partners. And how do we get to this point of somebody saying two sets of books and is it possible is, is how I kind of took from this. And one of the things he talks about is when doing a deal with this, you have what's called uh, reps and warranties, which basically states that everything that was told you was true and the negotiation of these is very significant. They basically allow someone to sue if there's a lie not told to them, you know. And David promises us that good clients who are reading them and negotiating them, they're doing so hard. You know, one side wants to get all these reps and warranties in that cover them, and the party that's trying to sell or sign off on it doesn't want to do it because a wide reps and warranties, as David talks about, opens you up to all kinds of lawsuits and perjury and all these headaches down the road. And so, you know, that I definitely makes sense, and I agree, which to me, I do kind of say that, you know, this source might be coming up false in these two books, you know, and, but Dan does go on to say, sorry, David does go on to say that Dan Snyder is not a dummy, you know, he's trying to buy them out for over 800 million, and, you know, not for one minute would he have misrepresented what is happening financially with the team, nor would he misrepresent the financials to the league or auditors, you know. And, of course, he does kind of go on a bit sarcastically say, wait, people do this? And to me, that's a great summation of the situation. You know, Snyder, in my opinion, I think David really does get this across, is that he's lost the benefit of the doubt. He's a horrible owner and a person for far too long, and people will do anything. And I agree with that. I agree that I don't think he, I'm on the fence with this, to be honest with you. I don't think he's stupid enough to have done it, because... This can lead to two sets of books. Lying financially is not just loss of the team and fines. It can be jail time. I mean, there's there's accounting principles and rules that you cannot break. And so doing this, there is that chance that this could be the end of Dan Snyder's freedom. Not ownership of the team, freedom. So I don't think he'd be that stupid. But again, he's proven to us to really, in my opinion, have bad judgment and to kind of think he can get away with anything. So why wouldn't this be? And it doesn't have to be, well, I, I decided to have two sets of books in January 2022. I mean, once you start, you can have it at any point. It's too late. It's started. So I do think, you know, anything is possible is how I, is how I look at this. And to be honest with you, if this is true, it's the end of him. 
Uh, and I, I think the team losing it is the end of him, but his freedom. You know, and, and in Dave's opinion, it does kind of back up after I saw this, is that he does, in his opinion, say that this is... He, this is the end of his ownership of the team, that within a couple of years, he's going to have to sell it. I think the date he said was by 2024, 2025, he's going to have to sell, and I agree 100%. You know, in David's eyes, he's been a pain to the league and to the owners. And I mean, even if it's not true, this is still... What owner has ever had this accusation or a source saying that there's two sets of books... You know, no owner has had this many problems, has had Congress investigating their team. What owner has had the accusations of maybe cooking the books, bad financials, all of these issues? It's like one thing after another after another. It's like, what's next? There's got to be something next. You think, how bad can it get? And something comes up. So, yeah, I can see the NFL saying, your bad press, your bad image, between you and now Deshaun Watson... We, we've had enough. We can't get rid of Deshaun Watson as easily, but we we can get rid of you because you're a proven problem. So, I agree. I think that Dan Snyder is going to lose the team, and I hope for one that he does. That, you know, the NFL doesn't really need an owner like him. You know, they don't need this bad press. It's the Washington football team. Anybody would want to buy that. Anybody would want to buy that. The placement, you know... Yeah, they're a dumpster franchise, but they're a dumpster franchise under Dan Snyder. I mean, it's in the Northeast, you know, as, as Tony Kornheiser says, the I-95, and I agree with it. I, if I had the money, if I was multi-multi-multi-billionaire, I'd buy them in a heartbeat. I'd buy them over the Broncos, and I love the Broncos, but I would, where they are located. So, it's not like they're going to be hard-pressed to find an owner. They'd find an owner in a heartbeat. If Jeff Bezos can't buy the Broncos, he can buy the Commanders. And he can rename them the Amazon whatever. So, I agree with David. He is going to lose the team. It's just a matter of time. You know, because at this point, I'm saying what's next. So do the leagues have to be saying what's next. There's no way they're not. So, be interesting to see. Only time will tell. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of No Offense with Matt Shepard. I'm your host, Matt Shepard. Didn't really think that one through. Uh, Till next time, thank you for listening.